As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. Excited to be back with the latest episode and edition of the show. Really excited to have with me a first-time guest here today. Uh, as our listeners and viewers know, I love bringing on first-time guests to the show. This is somebody I met recently at a conference, uh, that, a conference that I really took a lot from. Uh, we may even end up talking about that. Who knows? But uh, Louise Cartwright, really excited to have you here today. And I think where I'd like to start is to get you to tell us maybe a little, just a little bit about your journey or even how you spend your time today. I guess we'll say how, how you got to that spot. Cool. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I will tell you very briefly. So I accidentally set up in business back in 2012. Um, and I say accidentally, I was in a very dead end job and um, just decided personal training sounded quite like fun. And I'd always had, you know, um, you know, decide to be fit and healthy. And that's what happened. So I just, I, I hustled, I did a, a day job and I, I delivered fitness classes on the side and it very quickly grew. Um, but it was during that sort of first four years that I realized that I really wasn't a businesswoman. Um, I had huge blocks around money um, and all of the self-worth issues that I'd had from a young age that I thought I'd dealt with, they all came back. Um, and it was a case of either deal with them properly so that I could make my business work or keep hanging on to them and actually let my business fail. Mm. So thankfully I chose the first part and I learned how to work through them, which led me to closing down that first business and doing the money mindset and high performance coaching that I do today. Wow. So th first of all, that's, that's, I have to start there. I mean, that's, that's really big. I mean, my Second, I always have to think this through. My second TEDx talk, I talk about uh, stepping outside your comfort zone and, mm -hmm. and how hard that can be and, you know, even offer strategies for doing it. But I'm quick to always mention that, you know, these strategies work for me. I've watched them work for other people, but it's never just as easy as that because the one thing strategies don't address is the emotional side of yeah. stepping outside your comfort zone. I mean, the strategies help you get past it if, if all your situation is you have a fear. Mm -hmm. But if there's a whole bunch of stories you're telling yourself around why you built these patterns. That's, yeah. that's another element. And, and of mm -hmm. course, even in a TEDx talk, you can't do that in 15 minutes. <laughs> but having said that, can you share with us, you know, you said you had to choose and you made the choice, thankfully, to be willing to let go of some mm -hmm. of the, the conditions that you had. Can you tell, with us, uh, tell us a little bit about the challenge that you had with that? Like emotionally, was it, was it a struggle or did you just kind of say it's either all or nothing? Because otherwise, like you say, the business won't survive. Like, so was it something that you were just at that point where you hit where you were just ready anyway? Or were there some emotional challenges with making that change? Um, I don't think I would say that I was ready. Um, I, I don't know that we're ever really ready. I think we just get... I think we, I got to the stage where I was tired of two things. I was tired of my own BS about why I couldn't do stuff. And I was tired of being miserable. Um, so I had, from the outside, it looked like I'd done really well. I'd gone from being a single parent claiming benefits, right, to going into a dead-end office job and earning, I think it was like £8 an hour, to having this personal training studio fully booked up to maybe like £5,000 a month, which was a lot of money for me, right? 
So everyone was like, oh, you've done really well. So I thought, why am I so bloody miserable all of the time and stressed and anxious and just my, my, my head talk didn't switch off. Um, and having had quite bad depression in the past, I, it was kind. It was more. I think the emotional trigger that you just said there was more that I couldn't facilitate that emotional health anymore. I couldn't keep going through that. But at the same time, I know that I'm not a quitter, um, and I know that the the option to go back and to do the dead end job, whilst yes, I could have switched off at three o'clock every afternoon and came home. I was like, that doesn't feel very purposeful. I don't think I'm going to get a lot of meaning from that. Um, and it was just, and the other thing that came from that was that, you know, obviously from the work that you do, that once we become aware of us feeling something, we put the feelers out to realize there's other people in that same space as us. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I wasn't having money blocks because I was just useless. I was having money blocks because they're an actual thing. And it's based on you, how I felt about myself rather than how I felt about money. Um, and so it was definitely more of a kind of a decision that I wasn't, I wasn't happy. What would happiness look like? What were my options? And what would I have to do to transition into the option that I wanted? And so, I mean, and this may be just a, a sort of a speculation type question, uh, meaning you speculating in terms of the answer. But uh, based on that, do you feel that that's usually what happens when somebody finally makes that change meaning do you think and i say this because i see so much on the show and in general when i talk to people and and it seems like the time they make the change is when something big happens meaning they've hit their bottom they recognize if they don't change worse is going to happen than if they do and on and on and on but it, it seems to be triggered usually by something rather than somebody just saying you know what it's time for a change Mm-hmm. like we have to be hit over the head is what I'm trying to say and is that what you kind of see as well uh, absolutely I remember the first time I was reading um Derek Rydell's book Emergence and he talked about like that two before around the head like you get the the gentle nudge and you get the gentle nudge and you get the gentle nudge and then it's a whack and it's like wake up and um, and there'd been a series of things that had happened um And whilst I'm on a mission to open up awareness before we had to have that two by four, I do think that, you know, until we can, until we can choose something other than comfort or complacency, or even to some degree, this might seem a little bit um, out there, but I sometimes think that sometimes too much gratitude can keep us stuck because gratitude can maybe be a comfort thing. I'm just happy with what I've got right now and therefore I don't need to do anything else. But yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's something that often has to trigger us to make us have that change and whether it's something, you know, like an emotional thing or something external, you know, we get relatives or parents that get sick or, you know, but it, it it was just being sick of that old, that I think for me it was, it was the destructive talk in the head. Um, And I think if we can learn to understand that that's not who we are, it's just something that we've learned to do. That's where our freedom is in, in, in pursuing that, that avenue. Now the other side, and, and when I say this, uh, Louise, I'm not talking, you know, from sharing, for example, on the financial side, because I think that, you know, I mean, we're not that there's some shows I was just on a show the other day where they, I mean, they want to know, every detail and I, I think that's up for the guests I, I've, I've grown up in a way small town where it was like you know you don't share those details unless mm-hmm. you're wanting to share them not because somebody else asked you to but I guess if you look at it whether you talk from a 
a success point of view from what we consider a success. So, you know, business uh, measurement or whether mm -hmm. it's from a personal feeling, but you said you were forced to sort of make this change and you did make it. So what did that, what did the result look like? Like, in other words, did you find that you felt different after finally tackling these money blocks that you had? Did you find it opened up doors to your business that wouldn't have existed otherwise? Like, did you, in other words, did you find a big change after making those changes? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> For want of a word. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the first thing was I actually, before I completely transitioned, I, I started to slowly close the business down. So I let go of the money because I found out that, hey, money wasn't the be all and end all. It didn't make me happy. So I was like, okay, I've learned that lesson the hard way. Let me look at something else. And I just spent kind of, I guess, knocking the door about nine months doing things that felt good. Like I revisited some old skills that I had. I started to read a lot more. I got back into my angels and my meditation and I started to feel like, Oh, this is, this is what living feels like, you know, not just enduring a life. This is what experiencing life feels like. Um, and then literally it was September 17 and I was like, okay, I'm going to just close the whole thing down. It was my business now was tight, like tiny, like five clients. But there was still that fear of once that's gone, that's gone. And, I, and, and, and I'm not going back. But that opened that door that says, okay, so now what? What do you want to create? And those, what you just said there about feeling, you know, things that felt different. I, I found, I really found a passion around talking about money and purpose and passion and profit and putting all three together. And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop learning about that, talking about it, and really trying to find a way to help other people feel that good about the same process and trusting their message to come out. Um, and I just, I can't even begin to tell you just in terms of how my business has transitioned over two years. I don't even think it's been conscious. It's just been allowing things to happen and then dealing with them as they come to me. And it's been fantastic. So we met at Brendan Burchard's conference. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to, let's say, dive into this a bit in terms of learning. And you, you've you mentioned, you know, mindset and, and awareness and growth. And, you know, the idea that, um, you know, some people, times gratitude gets in the way because people are like, ah, I'm happy with what things are like mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. But I've also learned that, that really the, for lack of a better term, I'll use money in the sense of anything, like money in the sense of even happiness, but I found the money is in the growth, meaning mm -hmm. people seem to, if they're not learning, I believe that saying that says, if you're not growing and learning, you're dying. Mm -hmm. So my question is how big a part has learning and development, and I mean, you can even kind of incorporate in how you discovered if you want Brendan Burchard. I know you've taken a bit of a journey into his world as well, but how big of a part is learning played in that growth? And before you changed your mindset, were you also still diving into learning, but just didn't have the right mindset? I'm just mm -hmm. curious of how learning worked its way into your life, essentially. Um, so I've always been, um, I'd say I've always been a learner, but it's one of those things you don't realize until you look back. So um, I, a learner and, and probably a bit of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. Um, so I've, I studied it. I, I trained in lots of different things, but I actually was led to believe by society that that wasn't a good thing until I listened to Elizabeth Gilbert's talk about the hummingbird. Mm -hmm. And there was also, I also at that same time found a TEDx talk about a woman that spoke about something very similar about having those, you know, multi-passionate. And I was like, Oh, 
I'm not broken. I'm perfectly okay. But it was, and I can tell, I can pinpoint the time. So it was, two, it was 2015, about March. And again, these voices were really loud. And um, I just put a message out in a Facebook group that I was in. And this dear woman said to me, I'm going to give you some coaching for free. Because she knew I didn't, at that time, I wasn't earning very much. And she was the first person that actually made me realize that my thoughts weren't part of me. They just kind of, they were like on the, the vision, they were like on the TV of my mind. Mm-hmm. And she had me do one exercise. And the exercise literally was getting up in the morning and writing in my journal, I feel like, and I'd write a big list of all the things that I felt, crap, anxious, fearful, overwhelmed. And then she'd make me write them again. I'm aware that I feel, and I'd write the same things. And then the last thing was, I'm witnessing that I feel. And it was just that first time I learned that detachment. So that was the first thing. And I did that every day for weeks and weeks and weeks until I could have the conversation in my head. Um, then I read a book which changed everything, which was um, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. That was a game changer for me. And then the final straw was reading Brendan's Motivation Manifesto, April 2015, in the bath. And I read the section on We Shall Defeat Our Demons. Bang! It was a light bulb moment. And I was like, oh, I've actually got to deal with this stuff consciously (laughs) and make new decisions. Um, And then I just started to absorb books and, you, you know, YouTubes and started to think about who I wanted to hang around with. And it was the first time that I realized I was creating a reality. Um, And it's been, it's just been a journey that I've just not stopped. And I think now it's just, it's just wanting to learn more and more, but not from a certification point of view, which it would have been in the past, more like, what do I need to learn to experience the next level of myself? I love that. And and I have, uh, I would say, out of the books you've referenced so far, I think I have three out of the four of them here. So <laughs> now I have a lot of books. So I mean, it's, you know, it's not like I'm saying it's a synchronicity because, it, you know, I have eight books and you mentioned three of them, but I have a lot of books. Yeah. But um, I mean, you know, to back that up, I have three of those books because they made an impact on my life. Um, you know, Brendan's book, I think was really bold the way he mm-hmm. did it. Absolutely. He the story that he actually uh, paid back the advance to his original publisher because they said that book wouldn't sell. Which mm-hmm. I still think is kind of ironic. A guy has a list of 2 million people. As a publisher, where's your head at saying it won't sell? No matter what <laughs> it's going to sell, the only question is whether or not it'll make an impact on the market. And obviously, it clearly did. Um, yeah. but what's interesting about what you just said, sometimes how, and you probably experience this, but sometimes somebody says something and it triggers something else in yeah. the, the other person. So what you just said there that triggers something to me, and I'm putting this out there to the universe because maybe I'll decide to do this at some point. But um, you mentioned about that you watched a couple of, TEDx talks that really kind of were the right time, right place and impacted your life and how you went, oh, I'm not alone. And one of the things I've been talking about a lot lately and I'm really mulling over, do I want to come out of my TEDx retirement and do this as a talk is about the fact that, and not all high achievers are like this, but I've done enough interviews to know that there's a lot more than we realize because they don't want to admit it. But for me, the way I work is if I'm working, like right now, I'm I'm working on my book, bringing it over to a major publisher and it was self-published, a specific book. And normally with me, with the, when the book's done, you know, it's hard for me to keep promoting it because the truth is for me, the journey, okay, it used to be that the journey wasn't big. I waited for the destination, but then the destination didn't have much joy for me. It was done. It was done. So I didn't mm-hmm. get any uh, blessing from the journey or the destination. So it's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing this for? And it was almost just the drive to get it done, but there I was getting no payoff. Then I realized no matter what I did, once I held that book in my hand, 
I was proud of it and excited, but it was already my mindset going next. So then mm -hmm. I realized I need to start enjoying the journey because clearly mm -hmm. I'm not going to enjoy the payoff. But here's why I bring this up is I come to find out after interviewing a lot of high achievers, I'm not alone. There's a lot more high achievers than we realize that get excited by the journey, dive into the journey if they, if they're that aware yet. Uh, and then they love the journey. But once the project's done, they're just like next, but nobody wants to admit that because it's not glamorous or sexy to say, <laughs> I don't want to hold this book up for the next 20 years and say, I love it. And so it yeah. also makes me as a musician a separate side of my life, wonder how the Rolling Stones can go every night and play satisfaction. But <laughs> for me, I, I would struggle with that. I'd want to play yeah. it once every two months and be a surprise rather than mm -hmm. the audience booing and calling it a bad review unless you play it. And so to me, uh, you know, having the book out, I, I, three or four years later, it's a struggle for me to still go look at my book. I'm like, people say, what books did you write? And I still have to think for a minute or two on my earlier books. And mm -hmm. I say all this, Louise, because I think there's enough high achievers who feel bad about this that I'd like to do a talk to remind people it's okay. And there's more of us mm -hmm. than you think in mm -hmm. the situation of not necessarily being so excited about that book that's in your hands now. And it's, it's okay that, you know, you don't now drool over that book for the next 10 years. Well, I think as well, if, if by nature of being a high achiever, I think it leads into us wanting, well, I think there's different levels of high achievers, but let's just say they're like you and I, it's not about just the achieving, it's the experiencing right and it's the alignment so if we're ever expanding and we're taking on all this amazing information that's out there in the universe then of course we we want to go next because we're like okay what, what can i experience next what what modality can i use that who can i share that with and it's that surely that joy and excitement is what keeps us thriving and growing I do think that yes it would be better for us sometimes to be able to sit and go hey well done you know you've just because I'm exactly the same I literally and my husband goes you need to just sit back and look at what you've just done and I'm going yeah 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 you know <laughs> but it, so I think having that recognition and praise for yourself is important but I think at the same time I think if I if I try to quash that that urge it wouldn't be who I was and then I would feel like I was caged again and that's not a nice place to be for anybody yeah I agree completely and I'll say it, you know it goes to the point let's say Steve Jobs I mean he put out these world-changing devices that you know I'm sitting here with two of them actually I'm on a Mac so I'm sitting here with two of them myself <laughs> and yet I'm pretty confident that and he did those big launches and he talked about that let's say the iPod for th six months let's say or three months during the launch and then he hardly ever referenced it again only to compare it to a new product he's working on. And so I even feel like somebody at his level would put at these products that change the world and still was like, next. Yep. And, and to the point of that, Louise, maybe that has been part of, without us acknowledging it, part of what's actually created so much change in the world, the mm -hmm. positive change, is that, that we do have that. That mm -hmm. urge inside of us to just go, okay, it's done. Mm -hmm. And I have to move on to next. The reason I think it's interesting is because I think a lot of other people looking on the outside in would think that let's say Steve Jobs sit, sat, you know, in his house robe every day and go, I created the iPod. You know, like, <laughs> in other words, like to think about look from the ego perspective, that entrepreneur must just sit in that and say, look what I created. Mm -hmm. Actually look and see that they say a lot of times, you know what next, it means that maybe their ego's not as tied into this one baby project as people think. Mm -hmm. And so I think that would be kind of like an eye opener for a lot of people. So it's sometimes hard to accept that they don't just sit in there. And not only that, I think if a person outside the end, like me, I'm in awe of what Steve Jobs created. So I would think, I, you know, if 
we, the grass is always greener. So I would go, oh my God, if I created the iPod, I could sit in it. But truth <laughs> is, I probably couldn't because I haven't been able to sit into anything I've created. But, I, I, but I'm also, having said all that, I'm still proud of it. And I still mm -hmm. look and say, I made this. And if I set them up on a shelf, I can go, wow, you know what? I am serving a purpose. I am impacting lives. But again, I think it's, 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 it would surprise a lot of people how many achievers have a hard time just sitting in it for a month and mm -hmm. going, oh, the glory of it being done. And if yeah. I try to go there. I, I, I totally agree. I think it's, you know, it, it's one of those things that, for me, that even just talking about creating something and then stopping, gives, it gives me palpitations. <laughs> because that's not the purpose i'm sure and i it takes all sorts to make the world go round, doesn't it um you know i think if i was married to somebody like me that could be a disaster thankfully my husband's not quite like that um but it's something i've had to learn to love because i've always been told why don't you just sit still why can't you just stop why can't you just blah blah what and i'm like and for such a long time i thought again there was something wrong with me that it was dissatisfaction therefore i was broken but what if we're just what if we've just been put here because we are creatives and we're out to impact and we're out to live our best life then surely that means lots and lots of different experiences yeah absolutely it's and and you know i will add this one last part to it is i think the one challenge to that for some creators is and this goes to the rolling stones with satisfaction and, and they, they had a big and deep enough career that they created a lot of hits that have had big impact and still, you know, get songs on the radio. But I think it's got to be hard sometimes when somebody's biggest thing that everybody knows them for is behind them. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's an actor yeah. and their biggest role is behind them, like Friends, some of those actors you'd think for at least one of those six, it's got to be hard. And then you go and say, like, somebody who puts out a book, like I was interviewing John Gray. Uh, two weeks ago, so Men Are From Mars. Book sold 100 million copies. And he is proud, of, so proud of that work. He gets excited, he's 67, he gets so excited talking about it. So for him, it's not like, a, oh my God, my best work was that long ago. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how one of his books, uh, Mars, uh, what, Venus and Mars in the Bedroom or something, was a New York okay. Times bestseller, sold millions of copies. Nobody even talks about it. Everybody comes up to him and says, Love Men Are From Mars. And <laughs> they don't know he wrote 25 other books. What I'm getting at is some people that would, uh, creatives, that would probably kill them. Yeah. Now, I think that's, that's where we have the challenge as achievers and creators is to understand that what we do, we, something, the newest might always resonate most with us. Mm -hmm. Everybody's all artists, you hear them say, this is the best album we've ever made. I'm confident it is. And, you know, and they, and they had 12 albums before, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the album that resonates most with other people and impacts the most lives. So mm -hmm. I think as long as you can be okay with you impacted lives, it doesn't matter when it happened, then that's cool. But I could see where that would tear some artists apart where they're just, why can't I, why can't I get people to forget that one thing I did? For sure. Yeah, totally agree. So I guess then diving sort of down a different rabbit hole, if you will, uh, in terms of what, and this is, I know, a crystal ball question, but what you would like to see the future be, and we can talk even, you know, near future, but, you know, you looked at what's happened since you've changed those mindsets. Where do you see yourself going now? Like you said, there's been such a dramatic change. Things have opened up. But do you have kind of a vision where you say, this is where I'd like to see two years from now for me to be? Or do you just, and I say this because not everybody does, has that. Some people just kind of go, I'll let everything take me where it takes me. Mm -hmm. um, I've ne I, will, I will confess, I've never been much of a, um, you know, two year, three year, five year goal kind of person. It, in fact, that used to be a massive block of mine because I thought there were, again, 
all good business people do that. I must be able to see very clearly five years down the line. But had I been like that, I, would, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made the choices that I'd had. Um, however, having said that, what I know now is that um, my, I, the message that I've got, I think is more global than I could have thought it would have been. So I've transitioned from just kind of wanting to do a little bit of work on the internet, you know, make a little bit of money to, okay, I want to create, help people create their lives of purpose, passion and profit. Um, I'm very, very hot on mental health. So I want for business owners to be able to do that without destroying themselves mentally and emotionally. And to do that, I want to, to get the message out on a much bigger platform. So I see myself sort of facilitating more online courses, but to be able to go and speak and to do, you know, more, more events where people can sort of come in and learn how to recreate their identity. Because for me, the success, it's the success identity first mm -hmm. creates the successful life. So I want to switch attainment to alignment. Mm -hmm. I want to help them rewire their brain get their little superhero outfit on that says, this is my success identity. And then just go forth and make that life that feels bloody amazing, but that makes enough money or makes plenty of money that we can change the world. So here's a question then around the idea of purpose, because when people say to me, what's, you know, for they'll say, why, how do you seem to have so much energy given the schedule that you live and carry out? And I always tell people I take vitamin P. And they're like, oh, where do I buy that in the stores? And I say, you can't. And you see where I'm going with this probably. So yeah. purpose and passion to me are vitamin P. And I, say, I love that. It's the best vitamin you'll ever take. And you can't afford to buy it. And you can't buy it in any store. And so, but having said that, um, because people always talk about supplements. And I do believe, you know, that there's a power in them, especially with the food we have today. Mm -hmm. But I believe that you can take all the supplements in the world you want. But if you're not happy with what you're doing, your purpose in life, then none of it matters. But here's my question out of that. We still see a lot of entrepreneurs, and let's face it, most entrepreneurs are, well, I'm going to say most entrepreneurs that are, and I use a new term, woke, are, are living on purpose, but a lot of them are still burning out and still burning the candle at both ends and all that kind of stuff. And I really believe, a part of it, I believe, is because even though they, they're living their purpose with the business, they're not spending most of their time in their purpose within the business. So mm -hmm. Michael E. Gerber talks about working on your business rather than in your business. And I think where a lot of people burn out is they spend too much more time working in the business. So in other words, mm -hmm. they're doing the catering, they're doing the books, they're doing everything. And they're only passionate about the one thing they started up the business for. My yeah. question out of all that, since you spend a lot of your time working on this and, and purpose being a key element of it, do you notice that? Do you feel that's a, a challenge where if somebody goes into something for one thing, you know, let's say they go into it, become a, a I'll just use an example, but let's say an IT person that helps mm -hmm. people with their IT, uh, but then 80% of their day is spent um, dealing with paperwork, dealing with accounting, talking to suppliers, then they're really only spend 20% of their time in their purpose. And sometimes maybe they left a job where they actually were spending 40% of their time in their purpose to do this. So yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to, I'm driving at this, Louise, because I often wonder how so many of us entrepreneurs are living on purpose, but that yet there's still so many entrepreneurs that aren't fully fulfilled. Oh, we could talk about this forever. Um, so I've got a couple of prongs on that. So my first thing is, my, my personal experience to start with is that when people start off and they're solopreneurs, right? And, and I say so as in S-O-U-L, 
it's, and like you're right, they've picked something because it means something to them. So when I first did personal training, it was because I'd had three decades of um, eating problems and you know self-worth issues and all that. And I thought, I don't want other people to feel the way that I did, so let me help them. And it was a passion, but it wasn't my purpose. Mm-hmm. And actually, when coaches used to say, know your why, find your purpose, I was like, I don't, my why is why not? My why is why not just try this? My why is, you know, I don't want to work with my boss anymore, so why not just see if this will work? And I had to really make friends with that. So the first thing I'd say, the, the initial block, is that people don't feel that it's purpose, their purpose is big enough. Mm-hmm. And so to that, I say, how about you just wake up every day and you decide to live on and of purpose? Today, I will live of purpose and on purpose. I will live, I will live like today's a gift and not a chore. That's enough, right? Because tomorrow you might not be here. Mm-hmm. So true. Right? So that, that's the first thing. But, but speaking to what you said there about exactly that, being in their business, again, there's all those fear mindsets around when I earn more money, I will get a VA or a cleaner or a, or a cook or whatever. Or when I get, again, when I get more money, I will then invest here, there and everywhere. And there is that fear of whether you kind of, you're giving stuff away for people to do and you want to take control or fear of it not working out. Or actually that whole Marianne Williamson quote about, Oh my goodness, what if I really do step into this and my light is so freaking bright that all my friends and family hate me. And, and, and leave me. So I think the purpose is a really convoluted thing to go down. Um, I, would, I would definitely say that I'm one of those people that doesn't like to relinquish control and likes to do everything. <laughs> um, and, and you know, when you're that passionate, you want to do it all the time. So burnout can come from being too passionate about your purpose. Absolutely, again. Um, and so for me, that is about making sure that, that, that people are saying, okay, what are your focal points? Your business and your passion is one focal point, but what else is really important to you? You know, when was the last time you went on a date with your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or whatever? When was the last time you actually sat and talked to your child at the dinner table? When was the last time you took a holiday? And making sure that those get scheduled time as well as your business. Yeah, I love that. And to that point, I agree with you completely is that, you know, it, it, it is such a great, point about the idea of relinquishing control can be so hard. I think the other thing, which is good and bad, but I think the other thing is it's financially easier now than it's ever been to relinquish control. I mean, so you had, you actually had a legit argument years ago that (laughs) possible to relinquish control until your business got to a certain point. People are like, no, just take the dive and do it anyway. But if somebody, if your company is making 50,000 a year, let's say, and to get an assistant that'll take that stuff off your plate back then was 30,000 a year. And now, and you have a family. I mean, it wasn't, exactly. it wasn't really fiscally responsible to do it. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, you can hire a virtual assistant. Like I have, for example, a telemarketer who calls for my speaking engagements and it cost me a hundred and some dollars a week. I could have never done that years ago. And, yeah. and then to that point, designing stuff, like I use Upwork as a freelance site to design stuff and my book cover. So get this, my book cover, my latest one was designed by Upwork. Uh, I think, I mean, I've worked with her a lot. And so I've given her bonuses whenever she's done really good jobs and all that stuff. But I, I found one person that worked really well for me. She's designed a whole bunch of stuff for me. But my book cover was, I think, $75. Wow. And now, so and it went to a major publisher. Um, the publisher themselves did a remock of, of, of it for to go to bookstores. 
it's this close to what the E-work, Upwork designed it. And they said, Corey, it just looks so great. Why would we change it? But my point mm -hmm. is people will say, yeah, well, I can tell the difference between somebody who does it and an Upwork. Well, sorry, but my book cover, a major publisher <laughs> with a design team, pretty yeah. much identical. So yeah. the point of that, Louise, is that now we can actually afford to hire some of those services. Like we have, uh, we have snow where I'm at. So uh, wow. we have a plow that comes in all summer, anytime there's a snowstorm and cleans out our driveway. It costs us $300 for the winter, let's say. Our winters are like seven months long. So that's like, what's that, 50 bucks a month? A little less. Wow. Uh, we have daycare for my son three to four days a week. Um, and I think the cost is 200 a week. And so, but what it does is it gives my girlfriend, she's working on coaching and she's trying to build her business from scratch. So it gives her the freedom to do that. And then mm -hmm. also it's a win for me because during the day, it doesn't impact my life when I'm not traveling and working from home. Uh, so having said all that, I'm only bringing this up because it's more affordable than it used to be. If mm -hmm. you, but now if I, have, I can have a virtual assistant, um, a snowplow guy, and uh, a daycare person uh, <laughs> that we're looking at uh, per week, uh, so the month, let's see, so for $400 a week. Yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, that's still a lot. I mean, it's still, what is that, 1600 a month, so like 15000 a year. So I'm not saying it's a little amount of money. But the odds of you being able to do that in the past, I mean, that would have cost you a hundred grand probably. Yeah. I think as well, the, the, one of the things that I see frequently, again, particularly when people are starting out and, and it's so easy for us to look back, is that people aren't going in with the mentality of a business owner to start with. So they will feel like a business owner when, you know, that word comes up again, when I, when I, then I will start doing this. So then I'll start, you know, looking at my finances better. Then I'll start paying myself a salary. And, and that's something that, you know, I came back from um, Brendan's HPC in November and was just aware of where I hadn't been showing up fully as a business owner and where I needed to, you know, get more help in my business. But actually it was more so that I could free up time to be with my husband at night time so that I could, you know, I could take two hours out a day and go to the gym or go walking the dog. And, you know, because for me, that alignment is what I had this, this saying, that I say, take, um, sidestep into the slipstream of alignment, because if you're in alignment, your, your progress is vroom, it's much quicker than when we're trying to swim upstream. Mm -hmm. and, and, and do everything. So even if for some people that, that is just a cleaner and, a, and an ironing lady, which is what I'm gunning for right now because I hate ironing, um, you know, or like you say, it's childcare or it's, it's just something that allows you to do more work that's more beneficial. Somebody to repurpose your video content, you know, just something to, because, because otherwise I think there's a really good chance that your, your passion might get rained on mm -hmm. and then once the passion's gone then everything becomes very sticky and and it takes a lot more effort to get through the day yeah it's it's you know it's a great point in terms of you know even go back to that point about you know relinquishing control is that it's not even to say like you said maybe it's just the cleaning person it, it doesn't have to be big to start with i think and this is to the point uh, now it's affordable to relinquish some of those smaller things so you can test it but i think the other side is sometimes it's just working that muscle of being willing mm -hmm. to let go of the cleaning <laughs> even if it's not you hate doing sometimes we just feel guilty or what who i think i am not doing my own cleaning you know that type of thing <laughs> but here's the thing to consider since we mentioned brendan's name a couple times in passing i mean i've heard the story that he shared about I think he even shares it in the Millionaire Messenger about how he was, I think, a $5 million company before he hired an assistant. 
Yep. So we got to be also clear that I'm not saying to be successful, you have to hire an assistant or you have to hire somebody. It's yep. just, I think that if you never, like at this point now, he would never be able to do what he was doing at that point at mm -hmm. all. Physically, mm -hmm. he could never do it. And so if he never worked that muscle, if he never took that step to hiring somebody, and I'm sure he did farm out different things like, uh, let's say, things to Infusionsoft or different things uh, to freelancers. If he never had done any of that, it would be much harder to find the relinquish, especially when you can do it at a $5 million a year company without a person. You know, you're like, well, do I want to step to the next level? Yeah. Even if we get to $10 million, now I'm hiring people and managing staff. Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know the numbers he's at now, but I'm sure it's public, but he's probably at $100 million a year. Mm -hmm. And so he might, he might have been able to get to $10 million or, or even just say, I'm not going to go to 10 million and be okay with five without anybody. But there was no way he would ever get to a hundred million mm -hmm. without the team he has now. So yeah, I, think that's, point, I think it's, if you need to realize you need to work the muscle at some point, if you ever want to go to the next level, that's I guess, I, the absolutely. Well, you all know that, you know, new level, new devil. You're not going to get, what's the book that I've got up there? You've probably read it. Um, what got you here won't get you there or something, you know, yeah. another brilliant book. I don't um, know. The group book that is, but anyway, okay, yeah. It's it's a it's a really good book, and it was it's just a, again being open to that perception of if I if I intend to not always be in my business, which ultimately I'm guessing that's what we all want. We don't all want to keep stopping our time for money, and I want to be able to find some way to scale this. What's what have I got to sort of implement right now? You know, you know, we've talked about scheduling is key. Obviously, Brendan have not been able to make that amount of money without being, uh, you know, super super good at scheduling what was important but you know and that for, in this day and age it's it's um not not buying into i need that next thing i need that next course i need that next this i need that next that just like what's the focus stick to that get that done roll that out next thing like what we've just said before about you know that that's how you keep moving forward rather than trying to do 20 things at once just do a couple and do them really really well um, but yeah, I think that the whole, and I, Dean Graciosi did a uh, interview recently with, I think it was Lewis Howes and it was all about, you know, making money. And he said, you know, one of the things we've, we've really got to be okay with is that as you make more money and you buy more stuff, now, whether that stuff is help or products, you're serving the economy. Somebody else is going to get a job because you're you've got the money to spend and yet there's so many people feeling icky around money and paying people that has to stop yeah absolutely yeah 100 percent. and and i think we're i think i feel like we're getting there but the sad part is you know just to kind of and before we move to our sort of lightning round I'll, I'll add in this i think the only challenge with it is the reason we're finally sort of accepting it is because the prices have come down lower so i don't know if that's necessarily good for the market overall you know yeah. like for example i'm talking about how i can get a book cover done for 75 dollars now that's a high quality book cover future will tell us whether or not that's a good or a bad thing you mm -hmm. know that a person ha like how many more people does she have to work with now to make a living when mm -hmm. that's pricing but at the same time you know i'm not going to pay a thousand dollars whenever everybody else is paying her 75. Mm -hmm. so, but, but I mean, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but the good part is it's getting us used to actually being comfortable spending money because yeah. it's not like having to spend $10,000 on a brochure. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so. and I, and I think there's 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 different levels for everything, isn't there? So you know the the people that we buy from whatever you, you say with Upwork or Fiverr or any of these kind of places where you go and get that that thing that might be serving their life at this moment in time in a way that stops them working in a supermarket for $5 an hour or $10 an hour or whatever. So I think part of that certainly is something that I've seen and worked through when I've been doing money blocks with myself and with clients is that, you know, we have to step away from other people's meanings and values around money and just focus on our own because that most people won't want to do what we do and put ourselves through the, I've got like a, a picture of a tumble dryer in my head because sometimes that's what it feels like running your own business is like it's a big bit of a bumpy ride sometimes and people don't necessarily want that so you know I think it's we keep our head in our game around how how we make our money and how we feel about money and how we spend money and let everybody else do their own thing with theirs love it love it so much uh so Louise you know we covered so much ground I'm still, even though I wasn't, didn't know if I would, because I know uh, this interview is even a bit longer than uh, I normally do, which is fine because it, get, it get, means I get to see more of you and also I can still uh, split it in two anyway. Uh, you know, I'm saying this now, but I mean, a person hearing it won't probably hear those words. <laughs> having said that, uh, I still like to call it a to be continued because I know we barely scratched the surface. And when we were just talking earlier, this is an emotional thing. This is something that affects people a lot deeper than just um, do a budget you know, put together mm -hmm. a budget. So I think we can explore this even further down the road. Mm -hmm. But saying that, I want to make sure we get some of these, uh, these questions that I like to ask every guest in so we can have a, a comparison point of reference. I like to do that. Having said that, what I've been doing lately, which I might do with you as well, is I've been lining these questions that are the, the questions I ask everybody around what they spend their time doing rather than just okay. generalized. Uh, you answered two of them already that I would normally ask. I have a whole flurry of them. Uh, so I'll probably ask you three, but the two you've answered already was, uh, what books do you recommend? And mm -hmm. we covered, I think, four books, five books today. Uh, and then the other one was about purpose. I asked about mm -hmm. that, so we covered that. Uh, so having said that, how about I'll jump into this? Who inspires you and why? And you know, you can just take the general of that or you can take uh, the uh, who inspires you and why in terms of, Maybe it's clients that have taken that step outside their comfort zone that we're talking about in relation to money. So you can take whichever angle you want, but the big underlying question is who inspires you? Mm, wow. Um, I have to say that um, one, somebody that's really inspired me since November actually has been somebody that I met at HPC. Um, his name is Graham. And um, you'll know this. Sometimes you just meet people and you know you've met before. Mm. And something just happens, right? And you just know. And there was this guy, I've never been um, met somebody whose heart is like on the outside of their body. That's what he feels like when you're in, in, in a space with him. And I was able to look at him and see somebody who, I aspired to his, his uh, mentality. He's got an amazing statement around being um, a constant example of what is possible for other people. And we coach each other weekly. And he just, he encourages me in an amazing way to always, to, to be my better self, to push that little bit harder, to do something that I didn't think I could do. He calls me out on my BS like nobody else can. Like my, my husband couldn't speak to me like that because I'd probably punch him. Um, <laughs> He's, and he's just an incredible person with a big heart. So he massively inspires me. And I'm going to say my dad. Um, my dad's had uh, some big illnesses in the last couple of years. He's had uh, cancer twice and surgery. And he's got to have surgery again this week. And he's, he shows up. He keeps going. 
um, I just think he's the most incredible, incredible person, the most amazing dad and granddad. Um, and he has been the one that's really helped me the last couple of years to, to realize that actually, I don't know what discomfort and pain is. I know what emotional discomfort is, but I don't really know what fear is. He does. So he really inspires me. Wow. I have to say too, um, when you mentioned the, the coach and Graham and you guys working together, it's interesting because I I'm working with a coach now for the last little while that I know personally, who is a, actually a client first, who my client first, and then. I, so I did a lot of sessions for their car dealership and then I introduced her to Jack Canfield and mm -hmm. then she went on a journey with Jack and now became a train the trainer with him. And so what's interesting though, is then she went uh, through and did Jack's coaching and I'm going to be honest and I've said this to her, so it's not like me outing her, but <laughs> I didn't see, she was a you know, business owner. They had, I think eight businesses, successful ones. So I knew she knew business but I didn't see the coaching side of her until she went through and sort of just got the, um, let's say the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say certification, but the skill set. Yeah. But the point of this whole thing is to hear what you just said. The one reason that so far she's been so effective for me is because she calls me on my shit. Yes. <laughs> and that's and what you just said. That's a key thing. Is yeah. She calls me on my crap and uh, you know, my girlfriend could call me in the same crap in my case, but uh, <laughs> there's only a few. And otherwise, I would just say, I'm not, I don't want to be in this space right now. I'm just going to be mm -hmm. in this space. But, but it, I know she, it's serving me, and I know it's because she cares. And yes. I think that's the biggest thing. If you know a person has your interest at heart, they're not calling you on your crap because they're jealous or there's that, some other space being held. And so I just think it's so important what you said there is you need to find that person that can tell you the things you don't want to hear, but make you realize you need to hear I think, yeah. And I, can I just add one more thing to that? Because two things have happened, uh, or one major thing that, that really switched for me. I, I totally get what you said about when we've got that framework. So a lot of my work has been intuitive up until now. Doing the high performance coaching, bam, it, it just wrapped it all up so beautifully. And something that I became really aware of was communication, like listening to hear and not to speak. And I've read, I've read a lot of books about that over the last few months. And merging that in with some of Brendan's work about how do you want people to feel when they've been around you? What, do you, want, what, do you, what energy do you want to leave when you leave a room? And so I think we can do that coaching in a powerful way, but in a way that's not um, judgmental or pointy finger, just have you considered this? So Graham will say to me, is it okay if? And I go, well, I know you're gonna say it anyway, but thank you for asking. <laughs> And he'll just, you know, and he did it in Arizona. So the, the, the event that we met, met at, my husband came with me and um, we were, we weren't, uh, we were separated and Graham said, oh, can I, can I mention something about the way that you communicate with your husband? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and he totally nailed me, but it was, I needed to hear that. And I actually went and shared that with my husband and said, I'm really sorry that I, that I do that. And, and it was a, it was a growth thing for he and I. So um, I think that's a, ma a magical part of coaching is asking those questions, those powerful questions to highlight what you probably know, but you don't want to see, but in a way that doesn't invalidate you either. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think it's so important and so many people miss that. So I, I think it's so right. Uh, so now the other question I want to ask you is about success. And again, I'll tie it to the work that you do, but how do you define success now, especially looking at how you may have defined it back whenever you were having that struggle and those blocks, how do you define it now? And, and again, we can tie this around money 
or the growth that you've had or just in general. But I mean, I just, I always like to get everybody's definition of success because they're usually so different, even though there's always kernels of similarities, there's also big, really big differences. So yeah, uh, how do you define success? So for me, success, first of all, is a feeling. Um, it's for me, a successful day is waking up, feeling aligned and by aligned, I mean, excited by creating something on purpose, you know, knowing that there is a, that I'm part of something bigger. Um, success is being able to, to also be able to live the life that you want to live. So there is, there is definitely an element of financial, um, success for me. Um, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to experience things and, you know, just what simple thing, well, I think they're simple things, but perhaps we don't see them. Being able to buy really good quality food, being able to buy products that are organic, you know, for your skin, you know, just look at, being able to get good dental care, you know, things that we, that we just don't even sometimes think about. And maybe particularly over here in the UK because it's given away so freely, right? So people aren't paying for it, which is why the NHS won't be here in a few years time another topic so but but ultimately success is for me living in alignment and fulfilling your highest potential in a way that feels good making a positive impact and doing that with purpose passion and profit wow and you know so i i originally and i guess i'll say i'm from and when i'm not traveling i'm based in canada and we have the same situation you know everything mm -hmm. sort of paid for so people sort of take it for granted um yeah. but it won't always be that way i don't think so to your point the, the quicker you can in your head, get used to now yeah. having, having enough, let's say abundance to be able mm -hmm. to cover that when we don't have it. So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the last official question, the, the unofficial one, uh, I think you can see this from a mile away. It's just going to be how we can learn more and connect with you. But before I jump ahead past the last question, I call this the time machine question. So if you could jump into a time machine, assuming they existed, go back and visit a younger version of yourself. Do, would you, first of all, my new part to the question is, would you jump in the time machine? Uh, and if you would, uh, what would you tell that younger self? Wow. I'd have to go in the time machine because I used to love Back to the Future. It was my best, favoritest film ever. Um, so yes, I would. Um, and what age, I would go back, I would go back to probably when I was around about 12. Um, and I just started a new school and it was an all girls school. Um, and that was when I really first started to experience comparison that I didn't, I didn't fit in with the in crowd and I didn't look the right way and I didn't, you know, I didn't behave in the right way. And that was when I decided that, you know what, I'm just not good enough. And I'd go back and say to her that because of what you're going to go through in the next few years, you're going to rock it when you get to the other side of 40 <laughs> and you realize that all of those lessons you will need to be able to have the vocabulary and the empathy to say to somebody else, look, I see you, like I feel where you're at and I know that there is a pathway out. Please let me show you what that pathway looks like. So it's something I have to add, which I don't know why it popped into my head, but I never even dropped S-bombs on the show and I already dropped one. And <laughs> now I have to drop the second one because I just watched Avengers yesterday, the movie. And one of the lines in the movie, but maybe think of it because you said Back to the Future, is they were referencing everything they thought about time travel. So it's weird because I've been asking this question forever, but yesterday I saw a movie where they talked about time travel. I'm not going to go any further than that for anybody who hasn't seen the movie yet, although now it's at two point something billion. So I think that number is wow. freaking. But having said that, they talk about it and they were saying, 
what do you know about time travel? And they're listing all the stuff and everything they're saying references back to the future. Like they're like, you can't go uh, meet your old self because it'll screw up the time thing. You can't, you can't go buy a book about the past and all this stuff. Anyway, so he said all this stuff. And then whenever Robert Downey Jr.'s character, the Iron Man guy, Tony Stark, uh, said, you know, all that stuff is not true. Here's why. And then uh, one of the characters goes, oh, my God. So Back to the Future was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. It just made me think of it when you said that. Because it's like we get, everybody got our, our time travel lessons from movies. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, since it's not, I mean, not that we know of happening right now. Uh, you know, maybe it is somewhere in some secret lab. But to, that we know of it isn't. How do we really know that those are the rules of time travel? It's only just because of what makes sense to us. Oh, yeah, and, and it's our logical mind, which, you know, I see, I, I have a, 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 a sort of split mindset around that. So I do time travel in some respects when I do timeline therapy with clients. And I totally believe that we go back, well, we feel like we're going back, right? But, but that energy is still in existence because that still happened, right? And we just go back to that, that moment in time and we'll find out, okay, so what, what, what was happening there? Let's get rid of that from your timeline. And, and it's, it's, it seems miraculous because it's not logical but you know if we step out of logic then it just you know it just it happens right but at the same point I believe that our power now lies in the fact that our energy or frequency or whatever you'd like to think we are was placed into a human being with this huge frontal lobe that says hey you get to choose which way you're going today right and I'm not going to spend the next 10 years worrying about what happened back then I'm actually going to choose my frontal lobe to say, okay, this is the way that I'm moving forward and to create something. So I think, you know, maybe time, I think we can do timeline. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time in their timeline. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Way back when. Um, and, and I think it's one of the, the, the best things you can do is to have a conversation with your younger self. Literally sit them down in front of you and, and, and find out what they needed from you that you didn't give them back then. Like you've just said to me. And speak to them and just watch how that changes stuff. Because I, I totally believe in that. Yeah, I love it. So, Louise Cartwright, this has been an absolute pleasure. I promised you, most important question. Somebody's been listening to this interview. Love what you're talking about. Says, that's where I was at. Uh, you know, she said she can see me and I know she can because she's been where I'm at right now and they're looking for help to get out of that spot. Where would you normally direct them? Is there a hub or where would you send them to connect with you and learn more? Okay, so currently my website is being revamped, but you will be able to find me at louisecartwright.com and you can find me on Facebook at the Lifepreneur Lounge. So I have a group and I have a um, Facebook page. You can find me at the Lifepreneur Podcast, which is on iTunes um, and on and mainly, mainly on LinkedIn. That's the other place that I'm on just under my, under my name, High Performance Coach. So any of those places. Awesome stuff. Well, like I say, this has been an absolute pleasure. Don't be a stranger. We'll call it to be continued uh, and uh, look to bring you back on, but we'll wave the flag for all the great work you're doing in the interim. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.